you get any sleep last night? <laughs> How many were here last night? Okay. The rest of you, I don't know what to tell you. Go watch the, the, the podcast or, you know. Uh, because what I said last night is the, is the foundation of where we go today. So it, it'll make sense today, but it'll really make sense if you plug into last night's. I just want to say uh, thank you, Jonathan Redeen, for inviting Connie and I. We just think the world of your pastors. I, I, I can't even describe. They're true shepherds. And they were, they were so faithful. The Bible says if you're faithful in, the, in a man's field, he'll give, your, he'll give you his, your own field. And that's what happened to Jonathan Radine. They were faithful. And they poured into our kids, who are now ministering all over the place. They're all three of them in ministry full time. And uh, their kids want to be in ministry. I don't quite get it, but they do. <laughs> and I think in large part, that's because Jonathan Radine at Cree, at, at critical points in their life were, were pouring into them. Jonathan with his passion and his, his just his exhortation, his evangelism, he just stirred our church for evangelism. And hey, Jonathan, our church hasn't been the same since you left and, and uh, we don't do the wild game dinners anymore. You, he, he was in charge of the wild game dinners for the men's ministry and it was just powerful. We filled the room with with these wild men, you know, so, and it was, it was great. And, and Ray Dean with her, with her uh, passion, vision, prayer, her kindness, her just pastoral gift, you just got some great pastors. Now, and, and as Connie and I have been here, we've been praying for your church. Connie had a word, so I'm going to share it. Connie, she told me what it was, so I'll try to in my feeble way, tell you what Connie said. But she, we were seeing, she saw, as we were praying, she saw Jonathan Radine at the point of, a, of like an arrow, the point of the ship of the church, willing and able, and they were breaking through. And there is resistance, but they're breaking through. But the what Connie saw was the church needed to come around and undergird and pray so the breakthrough could be complete. All right? They're willing. They're able. But you need to be there to undergird almost like, you know, with uh, uh, putting up the hands of Moses with Aaron and Hur. You need to do that for them. And that, that isn't, I hope you get the, the picture here. Because you have, you have set people here. You have been, I mean, Coeur d'Alene's blessed to have the Owens family. And um, so, and I'm just, I'm just thrilled that they decided to come back to Idaho. From Idaho. And so, I just want to say, we, 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 see, we see that vision Connie had. And we're going to be praying into that, believing that you're going to cause, they're going to be, there's going to be great breakthrough because they're able. They have the gift and the anointing. The anointing breaks the yoke. And as the anointing comes on them, as you pray for them, the, the resistance will be broken, scattered, and smashed. Okay? This church will be a breakthrough church. 
okay? No. So, just, you've you got to take it. Uh, not every, can I just say, not every church is a breakthrough church. In fact, there aren't very many. But as you pray, this is becoming a prayer church. You are a prayer church. And I just, wow, I just love the, the heart, your, your worship, your prayer, your emphasis on prayer. God likes that. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout all the earth to find those whose heart is perfect or directed towards him. And I think he's found the heart of the heart church. And he's, he's pouring out his goodness and his favor. I like the favor of God. I hope you do too. So I bring greetings from Capital Church. Uh, Connie and I turned our church over that we founded in 1983. We turned it over to Chris and Kelly. Do, uh, Nathan, do you have that picture? Um, we turned it over to our, our son and daughter-in-law in, uh, six years ago. And that's their, that's their family. Uh, you can see, now, you have to understand, they have seven kids. They had, they adopted, I won't go through the whole story you heard, heard last night, but they, they couldn't have, they didn't have kids for a while, so they adopted the two boys, one on the left and one on the right, those are twins, in 2011 on, on Good Friday. And then a year later, their full sibling sister, which is standing second from the left, Whitney, she was adopted. We call them the big three. And they're the sweetest kids in the world. They, we were assigned to our family. I, I just think adoption is the most amazing thing. Our church, uh, our church ha emphasizes adoption. We have, I don't know how many, maybe it, there could be at least 100 kids in our church who are adopted. We, we, uh, we have a ministry to foster uh, children. And it all starts with, with Chris and Kelly and their heart for that and others who have picked it up. And then, uh, you know, they were going on, having a good time. Seven years goes by. Kelly gets pregnant with twins. <laughs> and then uh, a year and one month goes by, and Kelly gets pregnant with twins. <laughs> Three sets of twins. That's right. And they're only 13 months apart, but they're about the same size. It's like having quads. I'm serious. And when they come over to our house, Connie and I brace, get ready for the invasion. And uh, so we, we just love them. But they bring greetings to you. They're down in, in uh, our church right now. Let's see, it's about, yeah, they're just about ready to start second service. And uh, they bring greetings. And they want to, they just love Jonathan and Ray Dean. So uh, thank you for all that you've poured into our family. We, we deeply appreciate it. Well, um, I'm not going to go as long as I did last night. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a message strictly on, I'm going to start and get into, I'll, I'll bring a couple thoughts that you have to, you have to understand uh, concerning the kingdom of God. Because I'm talking about, if you don't understand the kingdom, you won't understand why you're praying. If you don't understand the church, you'll not understand your purpose. Uh, one of my favorite books that I've read over the past number of years is a book, and I'm going to describe it, is by Thomas Cahill called How, How the Irish Saved Civilization. 
And it's how St. Patrick and Irish monks transformed medical Ireland and rescued literature during the Middle Ages. And it, but it reveals this stark contrast between biblical culture and a satanically controlled one. Primitive Ireland at that time was filled with witches, wizards, sexual filth, human sacrifice, hideous aspects of depravity because Satan dominated the livers of culture, which we kind of see happening today. Um, recently, one guy said, the world is a spiritual battle zone, which is why it looks that way. Now, I'm going to do a paragraph. This is kind of R-rated, forgive me, parents, but from this book. I'm just quoting from the book. I mean, I, if I got into it, it would, you wouldn't want to hear anymore, but I'm just going to give you a, a snippet because you, you need to understand this. The Irish, like all the Celts, stripped before battle and rushed their enemies naked. The Romans in their first encounters with these exposed warriors were shocked and frightened. Not only were the men naked, they howled, and it seemed possessed by demons, so outrageous were their strength and verse. The Irish heroes were aware they became possessed when confronted by the enemy, and their appearances would alter considerably, and they called this phenomenon, phenomenon the warp spasm. This is how it appears. The warp spasm seized a man and made him into a monstrous thing, hideous and shapeless. His shanks and his joints, every knuckle and angle and organ from head to foot, shook like a tree in the flood or reed in a stream. His body made a serious twist inside his skin. His face and features became a red bowl. His mouth weirdly distorted. His cheek peeled back from his jaws until the gullet appeared. His lungs and liver flapped in his mouth and throat, and his lower jaw struck the upper a lion-killing blow. And in this great carnage, he would defeat the enemy. Ah, oh, that's all the farther I can go. It shows you and illustrates the demonic situation of our world if given to it. No wonder the Roman Empire fell to it. Demonic hordes overran it. But not in post-5th century Ireland, where St. Patrick and his successors, they shined the light of Jesus Christ into enough human hearts to transform their little island nation with truth and goodness. Eventually, all of this demonic was overrun by God's Christianity. And eventually, Europe became light-filled with a biblically-based civilization through the Renaissance Reformation, which then gave rise to the United States of America, which is only the second nation in history to be founded on God, Israel and America. Only nations to be founded on God, with God's principles in their founding. I believe today... In this contemporary uh, culture that we're in, the devil has taken his mask off and is beginning to howl again. He's, try he's showing the West his true nature because he's a destroyer. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus himself explained this in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. In Revelation 9.11... Scripture gives the name, the Hebrew name, Abaddon, to Satan and his hosts. And in the Greek language, it's Apollyon, and they mean destroyer. Satan is a raging destroyer of people and nations. That's why 
you have been assigned to America and Coeur d'Alene. You see, the, new, the devil's new audacity accelerates the moral downslide of America and the authoritarian uprising that tries to control it. Politics is downstream from culture, and culture is downstream from the church. We are to be revived to fight and win. And we will win. Now, Jesus came. Are you still with me? Jesus came to initiate a rescue program. He came to re reignite and reintroduce us to the kingdom of God. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to heal the brokenhearted. You know all the different things with Jesus. He came to destroy the works of the evil one, preach the kingdom of God, and he came to redeem us, but not just to get us to heaven. He came to redeem us, to set us as joint heirs, as co-regents, as representatives and ambassadors of the kingdom on earth. And he wants us to do what St. Patrick did, change our culture back to a biblical worldview. And he puts us on a path when we receive him as Lord of reclaiming and building. We're born in the kingdom, but we're added to the church. You heard last night about the ecclesia and what God, you see the church, it isn't a sacred term, nor is it a religious term. It's actually a governance political term, which is just amazing to me. And I can't explain that if you weren't here last night. Go listen to the podcast. But we are here, we're to extend the kingdom, and we're to build the church. The, the rescue program just isn't about individuals. Yes, he had come to save the individuals, but also a community of believers. He's coming for the church. I am a local church guy. I believe that we're to build the church, the ecclesia. And you're here in Coeur d'Alene, with all of you together, you're building a church, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a victorious church, a wonderful church. We're all members of the church, members of the body of Christ, members of the family, an army together. The church is to be the witness of God on earth through the demonstration of the ecclesia and the demonstration of heaven on the earth. We're to lead the world to God, and we are not to become private the world and the secular uh, culture wants to privatize, quote-unquote, religion. God never intended our Christianity be, to be privatized. It is to be publicized. It is to be broadcast. It is to be declared. It is to be raised as the standard for all cultures. And God put that in us. Now, within that context now, are you with me? Within that context, God gives us in the kingdom special uh, power, special tools, special abilities in the church to actually turn our culture upside down. And generally, it's based upon what we experience in the house through worship and prayer. When you worship today, do you know something happened in your community? You didn't see it, but I've, I've, made, a, I've made a study over the years that actually... Worship and sound creates light. It's, it actually becomes light, and light begins to, what, is, what, what, what does God talk about light? If you go to John chapter 1, it talks about light and life. And so what happens is light dispels darkness. 
Darkness isn't an entity in itself. It is that which light dispels. Light overcomes it. But we are, as the church and the kingdom of God's citizens, we're to be, our greatest power is in intercession, which is a prayer offered on behalf of another. Once you get saved, it isn't about you anymore. It's about you being inducted into a rescue program to help others out of their difficulties. That's what intercession is. Intercession just isn't what you say. It's your position and how you act. An intercessor is a man, woman, or child who fights on behalf of others. That's what we are as, as citizens of the kingdom of God and the church. Therefore, intercession is the activity that identifies us most with Christ. To be an intercessor is to be like Jesus. Why? Because he ever lives to intercede. Intercession can be a part of our lives right now. The kind of prayer that works the impossible and sets new boundaries of possibility. The spirit of intercession is a bold understanding through prayer of whatever asserts itself against God's design for mankind, we intercede against. Intercession forecasts new life, new hope, new possibilities for individuals who are seemingly in an impossible situation. Every believer is responsible for prayer and intercession. It is not a spiritual gift. Check it out. There is no spiritual gift of prayer. No, why? Because everyone's supposed to have the calling of prayer. Oh, it's getting quiet in the house. But Pastor Ken, I, I don't really feel called to pray. Well, spend time with Jesus and you will. Every believer must kind of say these word, words, I am responsible. I've been called to intercession. Now listen to this scripture. This is, I found this scripture. This is powerful. Ezekiel 9.4 says, And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. The word mark in the Hebrew is the word towel. When written in the Hebrew, it appears like a cross. The mark put on the forehead of each person was the sign of the cross. And the sign of the cross was put upon those who had the ability to sigh and cry over the sin of abomination going on in their city. This is like those who have the burden and the ability to stand in the gap for the city. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit desires to put the mark of the cross. Now, I'm not saying he's coming by his fingers, you're going to see a cross on your, on your forehead. That's not my point. The point is the mark of the cross is a mark of intercession because the Lord Jesus lives to make intercession for us. And he is the chief intercessor, so his congregation should be a congregation of intercessors. Right? Intercession is not a spiritual gift, as I just mentioned. I believe it's a calling. And intercession is a responsibility of every believer in every city for every nation who would sigh and cry. Have you ever cried for your city? Have you cried for Idaho? I, I mean, there have been times I just weep at times. Therefore, intercessory prayer is one of the main purposes of the church. We're, we're called to do all the different things, to worship, to evangelize, to teach, equip, plant churches, send missionaries, do all, and touch our community, do, do uh, outreaches that will really touch our community. And your church does that so well. But in Matthew, the very first function of the church that is, it is identified is to bind and loose 
and intercede. That's the very first one. I read that last night. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Jesus came and he told Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And you will, you will bind on earth and it will be bound in heaven. You will loose on earth and it will be loosed in heaven. That was the first actual statement to the church. Did you realize that? The church hadn't been mentioned before that. First mentioned principle of the church. And he says, oh, by the way, you're to be intercessors. You're to bind and loose. And then we go to 1 Timothy 2, 1, where it says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We actually took that scripture seriously uh, years ago when we went in D.C. and started a national prayer center. And from that prayer center, some of you have been with me when we've gone into, into the offices of the Senate and the House, and we pray with them. What were we doing? We were interceding for them. And we would pray for them, and then we would go in, and every time we went in, this is no, no this is, this is, uh, uh, it, it always happens, no, no joke at all. We would go in, and they would be either crying or deeply touched. I never had one congressman or senator ever refuse to be prayed for. Now, I had some staffers that wouldn't be prayed for. That's a whole different story. But these, these uh, leaders wanted prayer because they knew they didn't have the answers. And we would pray for them. I, I'm going I'm to give you one. I'm going to tell you a story, Seth. So we walked into a congressman's office, and I knew he was a rogue kind of guy. He, I didn't want to go in because I thought, he's just going to make fun of us. We're going to, you know. But, but the team we had with us was in his district, so they were his constituents. So we walk in the door, and we tell him, hey, we're here. We want to just meet and greet you. We want to thank you for what you're doing, and we want to pray for you. And this is what he said. Yeah, sure. I thought, oh, boy, this is starting out great. <laughs> we kept talking to him, and then finally, there's about 25 of us in the room. Finally, I said, uh, you know, uh, Congressman, would you mind if we prayed? We began to pray. I noticed tears began to come out of his eyes. And he was deeply touched. We got done with the prayer. Several of us prayed. And then he looked at me and says, Pastor, you don't know this, but I'm a graduate of Wheaton College. And, and I, I went to Wheaton College to get my, my medical degree because I wanted to be a medical missionary. Well, I knew, I knew then, if prophetically, I just knew. Something had happened to him in the church. He gotten hurt. Something happened. He ran away from God, and uh, he. But he still wanted to do medical missions, and he would. He would take his. He would go overseas and do his his personal medical mission. But something happened in his heart that day. He said, uh, "You know, you don't have to go. Just let's talk some more." <laughs> so, you know, the prayer turned his heart around. And all of us, I have story after, I could t keep you here for three or four hours telling you all these stories. And what happened was, because of this, he didn't want us to leave because he felt the anointing. What happens when we go into offices, we carry the glory of God. And they don't know what the anointing is, but they sure like it. And then he followed us out the door. He didn't want us to leave. He, he said, well, we, we, need take, we need to take some pictures. So we took pictures and, and on and on. And he followed us down the hallway. You know, I think, Congressman, we got to go, you know. Uh, but in, in doing that, I, I'm 
telling you, there are people out there that need your intercession. They need your prayers. They need your love. They need your encouragement. And so uh, our real purpose in life is to fulfill this high calling of, of prayer. We all have the responsibility and the privilege to storm the gates of hell, bring down spiritual powers in high places, and set captives free. That's what we're here for. So in 1 Timothy 2, the word intercession is the word intuxus, which means a prayer with a set meeting time and place and a purpose. It means to mediate or to stand in for another. It is a free-flowing, bold prayer prayed with childlike confidence. And there are two other words used for intercession in the New Testament. One is intonchano, which means to fall in with, meet with in order to converse, to plead with a person with strong feelings. The other is hooper in, in tangino, which means to make a petitioner intercede on behalf of another. And so what we are attempting to do, we listen to God, we agree with God, we pray the prayer that God puts on our hearts, that becomes the intercession. And until we see his name prevail against all that opposes God's will, and the crooked things are then made straight, the gates of brass are open and the fetters of iron are broken asunder when we pray. That's what was happening in that congressman's heart. We didn't see it visibly. We saw it spiritually. And they're all over the place. People want a breakthrough. There's a story of, of Celia. Celia had 10 children who were serving God, but the 11th was running as fast as he could away from anything remotely connected with God. Day and night, Celia, who was a prayer warrior, poured out her heart in intercession for the life of her wayward son. Persistently, passionately, daily, she cried out in prayer. Months passed. Her son showed no sign of repentance. Until one day, as he visited one of his brothers, her son began to pour out his frustrations and dissatisfactions with his life to his brother. He finally concluded, my life is so miserable that I only have two choices. I either have to get right with God or get mother to stop praying. And she will never quit praying, so I might as well get right with God. And he did. She beat down the walls of Jericho. The first Hebrew word for intercession is palal, which means to pray, to intervene, to mediate, as a judge to come between two parties. The second Hebrew word is the word paga. This is an interesting word, which means to encounter, meet with, reach, or stretch onto, to entreat, to strike, to touch, or to attack. We as the church are being called to return to our first call, which is intercessory prayer. I, you maybe heard this story. I think it's true of, of, of what we need to see in the church. One day, a young man in Alexander the Great's army was caught running from the battle. And as he was brought before Alexander, the lad responded with fear, Sir, my name is Alexander. Filled with anger that this coward would share the same name as himself, Alexander the Great. Alexander demanded, what did you say your name was? Well, now the, the young man was terrified. Well, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great approached him and stared right straight into his face and said this, young man, either change your conduct or change your name. Church, church. We either change our conduct to become intercessors or change our name. We, we as Christians are living in a season in which we need to change our conduct and become like Christ wants us. The priority call is intercession. We need to bear his name. 
Can you say amen? amen? Another story, this is this is all as a result of intercession. One Sunday night in April of 1912, an American woman was very weary, yet she couldn't sleep because of an oppression of fear. At last she felt a burden of prayer and with tremendous earnest travail began to pray for her husband, who was then in the mid-Atlantic, homeward bound on a ship called the Titanic. As the hours went by, she could get no assurance and she kept praying in agony until about five o'clock in the morning when a great peace possessed her and she fell asleep. Meanwhile, her husband, Colonel Gracie, was among the doomed hundreds who were frantically trying to launch the lifeboats from the great ship. Its vitals had, of course, been torn out by the iceberg. He had himself given up all hope of being saved and was doing his best to help the women and children. He wished he could get a last message through to his wife, and so he cried from his heart, Goodbye, my darling. Then as the ship plunged to, the, to its watery grave, he was sucked down in this great giant whirlpool. Instinctively, he began to swim underwater, even as it was ice cold, crying in his heart. Suddenly, he came to the surface and found himself near an overturned lifeboat. Along with several others, he climbed aboard and was picked up by another lifeboat about, at about 5 o'clock in the morning. The very time the peace came to his wife's prayer life. I'm telling you, prayer works. The desire of the Holy Spirit is to motivate entire congregations into a deeper level of prayer in order to release the supernatural powers of God in an awesome manner. This is our duty. Intercessory prayer is the spear that focuses with authority on the desired circumstance, event, person, or nation with a strategic targeting. Intercessory prayer must involve a strategic target, such as Peter in prison in Acts 12. Remember the story? He's in prison. The church is praying. He gets out of prison. He comes back to the house, and they don't think he's out. It's a, it's a ghost, they say. You know, here they're praying for in, in intercessory prayer, and they get the answer, and they don't receive the answer. When you start praying, you start looking for all the miracles. They're going to start happening. Remember the story. Intercessory prayer is, is needed to release healing to society's troubled waters. Moses cast a, a tree into the bitter waters in Exodus 15, 25, if you remember the story. We as intercessors need to begin to plead with God to cast a, a tree into the waters of our nation, for the waters are bitter in our country right now. But the tree cast in can make the waters sweet. Intercessors can do that. Of course, the tree is the cross. God's answer for the troubled waters is the foolishness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Intercessory prayer opens the eyes of all who fear the odds that they face in life. Remember in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 6, where the, uh, it was uh, Elisha, I believe, who who's, uh, sees the, the city surrounded and his servant, and he's all at peace, and his servant's beside him. What's going on? He's all anxious, and, and he simply prays his simple prayer. He says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so he can see what I see. Remember that? And the, the entire area was filled with chariots angelic hosts. Intercessory prayer releases the ministry of angelic ministering spirits. You're going to hear second service about that. Prayer recognizes the invisible world of the angelic creation 
and knows that they are there to serve the believer. That's what Hebrews 1 says. I remember a story. This is a fantastic, it's a true story. During the graveyard shift in a, in a subway station in New York, one of the workers leaned against a rail looking down at the subway tracks two, flo two floors below. Suddenly the rail broke that he was leaning on, and the man plunged down 20 feet to the tracks. Horrified, the onlookers watched helplessly as a train began boring down on the unconscious form lying across the tracks, directly in the path of the train. As people stared in shock, something invisible picked the man's body up and threw him parallel to the tracks just as the train flew by. Unharmed and unshaken, the man stood up, came to, asked the onlookers, what happened? Well, no one had an answer. After his shift, the man returned home to find his six-year-old daughter waiting for him with tears pouring down her face. Running to him, she threw her arms around him and cried, Daddy, I'm so glad to see you. In the middle of the night, an angel woke me up and told me to pray for your safety. So I prayed, I'm so glad you're alive. True story. Now, I was on a phone call a few months ago. Now, you're not going to believe this, but with 10 million people around the world. It was a, I don't know how they did it. But they were telling that one of the greatest moves of God in the world right now is the move of God through intercessory prayer with children. Particularly in Indonesia, in all those mid-Asian uh, you know, mid countries, there seems to be a move of God in powerful ways that God is answering the prayers of the children. I think we need to learn something. Children have a special faith. They don't have our caustic, critical thinking. We ha they haven't gone through experience. They just simply believe. Maybe we should start some children's intercessory groups. I need to close, if I can. Intercessory prayer establishes boundaries. In the Old Testament, God gave boundaries to nations, families, and cities, and those boundaries were intended to stretch all the way to their furthermost reach. God still establishes boundaries today for individuals, families, nations, churches, and cities. And through intercession, we can press the borderlines out to their God-set dimensions and claim our God-given heritage. That's through intercession. The boundaries for each of our lives are set by God's divine wisdom. God has a unique predetermined destiny for your life. God has given each of us a great spiritual capacity to grow and stretch and believe. And for each person that he foreknew, he predestined and assigned boundary lines. These spiritual boundary lines apply not only to each individual life, but to each church, city, and nation. The heart of the city church has boundaries that God wants, to push, wants you to push out to. It's bigger than you have thought. But the devil also tries to put boundary lines on us. He tries to shrink us, bind us, pull us back, remove us from the spirit of faith and vision. And these boundary lines come through bad experiences, through grief. Through, but God wants to 
uh, through faith and intercessory prayer, we are to move the boundary lines back to God's prescribed position. And the work of the devil strives to ruin your life and cause you to accept the narrow box that he has put you in. In other words, God has given you a 10,000-acre farm in which to live, and the devil tries to shrink you to one acre. But through intercessory prayer, we begin to sense the true borderlines. Faith grows, and our intercession has a goal and vision to it that was not there before. Then the true borderlines are restored not only for our own lives, but also for our families, our friends, our churches, our cities, our nation. Great things begin to happen. We must establish and reestablish our God-ordained boundaries through intercessory prayer. Can you say amen? amen? And to do that, we have to remove satanic limitations through grief and loss, and hurt. They're not of God's making. We're to spiritually stretch and enlarge. Don't give in to self-imposed boundaries. We're to remove spiritual parasites. A parasite lives off a host giving nothing in return. And a parasite attaches itself to a healthy system to drain off energy and life. A parasite clings to another, extracts whatever it can for its own advantage. We must remove the parasites of insecurity and fear, emotional strongholds, strongholds that Pastor J.O. was talking about today. We must eliminate these spiritual enemies. I want to I close with this. This is an interesting... I'm... I, Connie and I, we homeschool our big three that you saw on the, on, on the picture there. We homeschool uh, uh, three days a week at our house. And I like the, we have these science paces. And we've learned a story about the, I think this is how you call it, the itch new, the, uh, the itch pneumon attack attitude. It's a little creature called the itch pneumon. The itch pneumon is a small animal that can overcome and destroy king cobra that are more than three feet long. But the Ichnumon only attacks a snake when it is near a certain plant whose leaves contain an antidote for snake bite. When bitten, the little creature immediately retreats to the life-saving plant and nibbles on its leaves. Once restored, it is ready to renew the attack. Each time it is bitten, it goes to the plant and then returns to fight the enemy. In the same way, the only way we can be successful in our attack during intercession is to know that we have the power of Christ. As we fight the enemy, we may get wounded, things happen, we must continue to return to Christ at the foot of the cross for strength and renewing. Then we can regain our fight and defeat the enemy. I have other stories, I have other things. I must close. I'm here to encourage you today. This is a house of prayer. Jesus didn't call the church the house of discipleship, the house of evangelism. No, he said it's the house of prayer. Why? Everything comes out of prayer. And as we intercede, we become like Christ. We become most like Jesus when we intercede. And so today I'm, I'm here to, to just challenge you. Heart Church, it's time for you to rise. It's time for everyone to take up your calling, begin to pray. God's going to give this church strategy and wisdom. You're going to go to the borders of Canada. You're going to sweep through the the this whole in, in northern area of Idaho. You're going to go into Montana and Washington. They both need God. We need to stretch the border, stretch the boundaries and see what God will do. In your own lives, you need to say, God, I need deliverance. That's why he said, uh, 
I'm going to bind and loose. I'm going to, the word loose is luo, which simply means to dissolve or, or uh, actually come against and, and melt, break, beat something to pieces, untie something that is bound. God wants to untie things that the devil has tied in your life. And it's time for your intercessor prayer ministry to explode in you personally. And then in this church, things are going to happen that you're going to be amazed at. Miracles. Signs and wonders. See, the miracles and signs and wonders don't happen until you push the border up. And then you step into the glory and the goodness of God. You catch this? Okay, put your hand in your heart. I want you to receive this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I decree and declare that there's a brand new anointing in this house for prayer and intercession. I pray, Lord, that you would grant to us a newfound vision, a newfound hope, a newfound stirring, a newfound gifting, a newfound anointing that would be released through our prayers that would cause this entire church, region, and nation to experience Jesus. Lord, in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray there would be a new dimension of the words of God coming in this house that would be decreed and declared so powerfully that people would, would drive by and say, I need to stop there, I don't know why. And they come in and Jesus encounters them. We pray for Jesus encounters all through northern Idaho in Jesus' name. The encounters with Jesus that will bring people to the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank you now, in Jesus' name, let the anointing fall. The anointing is something you can't see, but you sense it. I pray the anointing will be sensed and received today to enter into a new dimension of prayer, intercession, encountering the power and the will and the purpose of God. I pray this because this is an ecclesia. This is a church that God has called.